This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Uh, gentlemen, the Georgia State Panthers coming off of a 31-21 to win over the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, moving to 4-2 and on the season and 2-1 and in Sunbelt play. What are our thoughts? I thought it was a great win. Um, I think that was a really complete game that Georgia State played, uh, especially on defense. Uh, that was definitely the best game that the defense has played all year. Um, Coastal only had 322 yards, and it truthfully looked like Georgia State's defense finally kind of woke up and was capable of making adjustments and you know, really didn't let Coastal get comfortable out there. Yeah, I think that, you know, questions abound when the the defense has been struggling about, you know, the scheme and what the defense is meant to be doing. And I think we saw Saturday what the scheme is kind of designed to do. Uh, Coastal was trying to get the interior run game going. It never got going. Uh, CJ Marable is probably going to be in consideration for all conference at running back. Uh, for Coastal Carolina, he came in just shy of 100 rushing yards per game, and he had 15 yards on the ground. He got a, a, a nice catch in the, the pass game, but that's kind of irrelevant to the point of Georgia State pretty much didn't let Coastal get the inside run game going. For pretty much any team, you kind of need that inside run to really get your run game going and really your offense going. So that was a really important part of it. And then the other part was just playing in zones or playing in off coverage. And when the guy makes the catch, just zoom right to the guy. And we saw a lot of that on Saturday. We saw a lot of quick passes where the guy was immediately met by the defensive back or the linebacker or whoever it was. And so as a result, Coastal didn't really get a lot of sustained success. Uh, They weren't able to get many big plays. And so their offense really wasn't able to do anything. It was nice. It was nice to see that, you know, especially after some of the previous defensive performances that Georgia State has put together. We've now seen two straight weeks where Georgia State's defense has really, really stepped up, um, especially in the run game. You know, Arkansas State only had 115 rushing yards and Coastal only had 105. Like that, that definitely matters. You want to see Georgia State being able to stop the run, Um, especially moving forward when you're going to have teams that are a little bit more balanced than Coastal. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I think the whole two quarterback thing was kind of dumb. I think there was just a guy that was just very clearly better and they should have just, you know, kind of let him command the whole game. But fine, whatever. But Georgia State didn't. Now, they didn't shy away from that challenge. They seemed very prepared. And, you know, there were a couple plays that Coastal had that were, you know, the 37-yard scamper by Peyton in the first half, you know, it was kind of frustrating. But at the same time, though, Georgia State really stepped up when they needed to. Well, to your point, frustrating play, sure. 37-yard for quarterback. That happened about halfway through the first quarter. That was the longest play of the game for Coastal. So that, to your point, you know, it, it didn't lead to a touchdown. It wasn't, you know, 30-yard run turns into a 60-yard run because of missed tackling or whatever. And that was it. 37 yards was the longest play from scrimmage from Coastal, and it happened in the first quarter. And so that's kind of the story of the day for them. No, absolutely. You know, um, and I mean, 
they started off slow and but at the same time so did Georgia State which is funny to say that because if you look at the box score you'll see okay 56 rushes for 350 yards this offense started off slow but it's it's hard to believe that at the end of the first quarter it was a 3-3 game yeah it seemed like in post game comments and after coach Elliott kind of intimated he wasn't super thrilled with the performance and I kind of get it because the offense, I mean, it, it wasn't what the offense has shown to be at its peak. Uh, there was a lot of slop, especially in the first quarter. Um, and even towards the end, I mean, there were just, uh, it wasn't the balance, uh, partly because the run game was working really well. But you, I'm sure that he and Coach Brad Glenn still want to see more from the passing game and, and just more yards in general. Just, I mean, get greedy. I mean, you got 472, but why not hit 500, you know? You got 31 points, why not 45? Uh, so I think it's definitely a game where the defense shone brighter than the offense did. And, you know, that's okay. You're going to have to have that give and take where one of the sides steps up more and the other side takes a step back. That's just how it's going to happen. You're not going to have games where both sides click perfectly and it's all synergistically. I mean, you'd love to, but it just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's funny you say that the defense outshone the offense, and yet Georgia State broke their single-game rushing record for the second consecutive week. So, you know, that's that's kind of funny. Um, do you think there was a reason for the slow start, or do you just think it's, you know, they were playing a good defense? And, like, what did you see in those first few drives, and in that, especially in that first quarter when they only put up three points? Yeah, I think a lot of it was credit to Coastal. They were just winning on the in the trenches. They were just winning their assignments. They were getting pressure on the pass plays, not letting Dan get comfy, and they were just beating a what had been a really formidable offensive line, which grew back into a formidable offensive line by the middle of the game and all the way through the rest of it. Um, but Coastal was just better early. Um, and then the other part of it was just there were some plays where you, get, you got a guy outside. I think one of them was running back Coates. I think another one was Cornelius McCoy receiver where there's one guy he's got to beat and he might get a sizable gain, get a first down, what have you. And it didn't happen on those plays. And so drive stalled out. And so just in general, just kind of iffy execution. Um, but they got it sorted out. And like I say, once Seth Page hit that big run, the offense looked different. You know, before I continue that point about Seth Page, I just want to give a quick shout out to Teddy Gallagher and basically every linebacker on Coastal because th- their tackling was phenomenal. Uh, there was a lot of one-on-one situations, as you said, where you make one guy miss and those are big plays for Georgia State in the passing game. And Gallagher and company just, I don't know who is teaching them these arm bar tackles, but seriously, they were hitting all of them. Um, <laughs> it was incredible frustrating as a panther fan but you know incredible uh but yeah i mean to your point i think a little bit the offense seemed kind of conservative at first um they really wanted to do a lot of screens they wanted to you know get guys kind of moving in motion um and then seth kind of said whatever we're just gonna open up a big hole and you know the ground game really took off from there i kind of had a feeling that this was the case, but zero passing yards in the second half. 
that, that kind of feels weird to say, especially given the tear that Dan has been on with his arm lately. Yeah, well, I guess there were three official pass attempts. One completion, which went netted zero yards. Um, and there were a couple of the runs that Dan had that were design pass plays that he just took off or look like design pass plays. There were still some that were obvious design runs and maybe all of them were. He just did a better job of disguising it even to, to, to catch my eyes, making it look like a pass play. But there were some plays that Dan got the space he wanted to instead of passing, sitting in the pocket. Uh, but I also think part of it, and they allude to that Dan has an, a decent amount of control at the line of scrimmage and that they trust the, the guys seeing what they see on the field. I think he just saw the offensive line started winning and started really getting ahead of steam going. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if when he had an, an option for a runner or pass play, he just kept you know spamming that run just because that's what was working. I mean, it did work when your quarterback is 128 rushing yards. It's not, you know, it's not a bad day in the office. Um, yeah, there's not going to be many days where quarterbacks outrush their passing numbers. Dan had 128 <laughs> rushing yards. He had 122 passing yards. Uh, it's it's not that common an occurrence. Um, you know, Michael Vick has left and gone on. His college numbers are stupid. They are. Um, to, to get, not to get totally sidetracked, but. Michael Vick of Virginia Tech was just Superman. Um, anyway. Oh, true, true. You know, you kind of mentioned it at the end of your Upon Further Review. If you guys are interested, check that out. It's on ThursdayNight.com. Um, but, you know, Georgia State has struggled a little bit to find that killer instinct. Um, and I think this game, I think you were right about that. I think this game kind of showed that there's still some things that Georgia state needs to get better at to go from a good team to a great team, as you alluded to. Um, but I, I can't help but feel like this was a really good win and we're really starting to see what this team is capable of and more so of who they are, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, and I mean, I dug in a little bit and it felt, you know, might, might appear to be a little critical from when I wrote that just because you're kind of at the point where at four and two, it's going to change the trajectory of the season based on how the rest of the year goes. And so, you know, if you want to be that upper echelon team, the minutia matters. And when you get an opportunity, they muff a punt, you're up 10 points and you start in their red zone. That happened middle of the fourth quarter. It was 31, 21. And you don't come up with any points. That's just, you know, you're asking teams to stick around. You're, you're giving them the opportunity to stick around. And so that, that was just the main point of that. And, and there are a couple other opportunities, but that was the big one. I mean, if you only have 19 yards to go and you run games and working all night, that's just one of those opportunities. That's just, it's built for you to just get a quick touchdown, make it a 17 point game with five minutes left. And then, you know, the fat ladies practicing your scales, but you're right. You're definitely right. And there'll be better teams that Georgia state can't have stuff like that happen against, um, so, but we'll see, you know, we'll see how, you know, they look to clean up some of those finer details and things on the margins a little bit and truthfully see how they, you know, improve and change. So the Panthers are going to host the Army Black Knights at Georgia State Stadium this upcoming Saturday at seven o'clock. Uh, triple option team, much like uh, some others that we faced. What are we thinking? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a tricky assignment to get in the middle of the year without an off week. Um it's just a whole nother beast. I mean, 
regardless of how good or bad the team is, you have to prep for an entire different style. You have to get your defense acclimated to getting cut blocked and getting a feel for what it's going to be like. And even then, there's just no way to replicate a triple option offense in practice. Like I, I would just say, no matter how the game's going to go, if Army comes out the first drive and has a good drive, just marches down the field kind of, it wouldn't shock me just because it's one of those things that it's not always easy to, to right off the gate get that comfort level. They're in an interesting place because they've been a 10-win team the last two years. Uh, this year, they're coming into this game off of two straight losses, which hasn't happened often for them in the last few years under Coach Jeff Monken. Coach Monken's, from what everything I can gather, kind of one of those uh, hard-nosed, intense guys. Uh, I think that last week's performance for them against Western Kentucky, in which them, a triple-option team, rushed for 137 yards and then allowed Western Kentucky, who is still in the bottom 25% of college football and rushing the ball, got 225 yards. So I think that they took umbrage to how they played last week, and I wouldn't be surprised if they come in very motivated, very upset, very, very wanting to prove a point about, you know, can run the ball and we can stop the other team running the ball. I just don't know that they can. And I'm, I, I feel very weird about this Army game, and here's why. You know, the past few years, we have this very prestigious allure to the service academy teams because most of them are pretty good. Most of them are pretty decent, you know, especially Army. Like you said, coming off two back to back 10 win teams, you know, they they are a good football team. You cannot deny that. I don't know that this year's Army team is a great football team like the years past have been. And, you know. You've mentioned, okay, well, they hung around with Michigan. They hung around when they played Tulane. They lost Michigan. They went to Ann Arbor and lost to Michigan 24-21. They played Tulane, um, who's doing really well right now in the American Conference, and they lost 42-33. But if you look at those box scores and you kind of look at the way that those games went, I see an Army team that was pretty lucky to be in those games to begin with you know you mentioned last week they got outrushed by the hilltoppers well when they played Tulane the week before Tulane rushed for 324 yards against them you know it took army having to pass 170 yards for them to even be in that game it took you know Tulane turning the ball over and I mean yes obviously if you have a defense that's opportunistic and capable of getting turnovers that's great, you know, but you can't always expect that. And so I, I truthfully think that this army team is susceptible to being ran on. And I don't, you know, obviously I don't foresee Georgia state breaking their single game rushing yard record for the third consecutive week. That would be ridiculous. But there's one thing that we've seen Georgia state do really well. And that's, that's run the ball, you know? And so I, I truthfully, I don't know. I don't know how I think this game will go because we said it last week when, we said that Coastal wanted to control the time of possession battle. If Army controls it, then maybe Georgia State can't come out on top. But if not, then I just think Georgia State is probably the better team. Bold words from Dr. Salmon. I, they yeah. are bold. They definitely are bold. No, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're not here just to make blanket statements about stuff. Um, I think you're probably right. This isn't necessarily the same Army team. Uh, 
it's just a, a situation where, you know, they're going to want to show that they are, or try to show that they are. I think that it's not a great time to catch them because you don't really want to face a team right after they've had arguably their worst performance in a couple of years. Um, just because if it's the team with that mojo and, you know, that want to, then it, it might be a time where they just, they play, even if this isn't 10 win army team, they play better than they have been just because, you know, their backs against the wall. Uh, they don't want to lose three in a row. They don't want to drop to a losing record. They've not come accustomed to doing that with this staff. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm also interested to see Georgia State's defenses under Nate Fuquay haven't done a bad job by and large against triple option offenses. And this defensive staff is comfortable with triple option offenses because a lot of experience comes from the SOCON uh, where there are a fair few teams that are used to running the triple option. So I think that Army's, you know, going to get 200 yards on the ground fairly easy. I mean, they they just do that. Uh, like you say, I think the big question come down to, comes down to how they stop Georgia State from rushing the ball. And I think that's going to determine the game. The interesting thing for me uh, this week in his remarks about it, uh, I asked Coach Elliott about Army's going to want to come in controlling the clock. Does the fact that your team has also been able to control the clock give you a leg up in this game. And he was basically like, I don't know if that's what we want to do. He, he, he basically said he felt there were times where he slowed down or he was this, the, the offense was starting to slow down to try and control the clock. And he was thinking in his head, you know, why not just go for it? And why not just keep, keep going fast, tempo, tempo, tempo. And so it'll be interesting to see, if the strategy is control the clock, keep the ball out of Army's hands, or if it's just try to be high octane. And Georgia State's offense has shown really good glimpses of running tempo and just wearing out the other defense. So I don't know what the strategy is going to be. It's going to be, you know, that's why you get paid the bucks to make decisions like that. Because I think you could go either way. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see which way it goes. I It sounds like time of possession might not be what we see Coach Elliott emphasize and that's a decision that could come back to backfire if Army has a day where they hold the ball for 40 minutes. Not if Georgia State's offense is efficient. It's true. It's true. If, if they're not holding the ball but are still putting up points and putting together scoring drives, then it's not necessarily going to matter. But the, the, the problem when you play a triple option team is if your offense isn't clicking and you're not holding the ball – by the end of the game, if Army's been holding the ball for, you know, close to two-thirds of the game, your defense is just going to be tired because of the aforementioned blocking. I mean, getting chopped at all game – sorry, chop blocking the penalty, so maybe getting chopped at – getting cut at all game, that wears on your defensive front. It does. It does. And, I mean, that's it's going to be really important for the offense to, you know, have that killer instinct that you've mentioned a couple of times um, and to just kind of put – Put all of truthfully put all of the pieces together. Um, it's a it's a team. It's a game set up where I don't think there's going to be a ton of possessions. I think that there's going to be fairly long drives that get put together. So there might just come a point where every drive from like say the middle of the third quarter is an important drive as far as literally affecting the final result of the game. 
And so in the second half, if it's a close game, you just got to keep putting scoring drives together. And, you know, the obligatory, if you get up to a double-digit lead late, the one pitfall that always comes out with the triple option offense is it's not as easy to come back on teams if you're having to resort to passing the ball late. That's very true. That's very true. So we'll see. I don't know that I can sit here and say that it's a win definitively for Georgia State. They still have to prove that the last two weeks is the defense that can stop the run. Um, unfortunately, they're going up against a team that only likes to run, basically. I think Army averages 70 passing yards per game, which is nothing. Um, but I mean, we sitting here today know exactly what Army is going to want to do. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of can Georgia State stop them? Question time. Do we have questions? Uh, we do, actually. We got a few questions on Twitter this week. Uh, first up, Will asks, who is our each of our MVPs from the first half of the football season so far? And I think the obvious answer just across yeah, the board every, is going to have to be Dan be Ellington. Dan. Yeah, I mean, right. This team is where it's at on offense because Dan Ellington's doing what he's doing. Very true. I guess... So let, let's just say, take him out of the picture, you know. Let, let's split it up. Let's, let's Someone on the offensive side, someone on the defensive side, and just for the sake of making it interesting, pick someone other than Dane Ellington because he's the implied, like, he is the answer. I think pretty easily um, my MVP would be Dante Wilson. Um, and he it's part of the reason why I think Dante Wilson is very deserving of this award um, that I am giving because I'm super important. This is um, defense. I know. Or, or this is defense or just second to Dan. I think this is just second to Dan, honestly. Um, and the reason I say that is because we talked last year and we talked in our, the preseason about the Georgia state pass rush and how last year it was basically non-existent. Um, Dante Wilson and company have basically changed that narrative and put it on its head. Um, as we sit here today with six games played, Georgia State has one fewer sack than they had all of last year. Last year they had 13 sacks and they are currently sitting on 12. Um, and Wilson has three of them. Um, he also has four tackles for a loss. Like this is a guy who is being very disruptive up front, um, you know, and it's not just him. I, I could sit here and go down the list of other, you know, guys on the defense who truthfully have stepped up this year. But I want to give this, I want to give my MVP for Georgia state. That's not Dan to Dante Wilson. MVP award. That's not Dan. <laughs> With just a giant gotta, asterisk printed on the, on the yeah, we got to make seat. a trophy. <laughs> it's like a little bit of a cop out i would just you know get a trophy crack it into five pieces and give one piece of the offensive <laughs> i mean you can't you can't say yeah. definitively there's one offensive lineman that's like stood above the rest and they've just i the, the run game is where it's at because the running backs are talented for sure but the holes and just the the way they're going about it the blocking the offensive line is a big reason for the step up in offensive performance, just like Dan is. And so, you know, cop out giving it to five players, but you know, the smaller trophy, cause there's five pieces instead of one big trophy. <laughs> um, and then on the defensive side, I would also give a shout out to Trajan Stevens McQueen. Uh, he's the leading tackler on the team. He's got two of the four interceptions the team has and, 
Uh, three and a half tackles per loss, uh, and then two pass breakups. Uh, the middle of the uh, defense is a really important part schematically. The, the linebackers get fed a lot of the attention, uh, a lot of the tackles, and so the guys up the middle have to clean up, and so far he's been doing a good job of that and being in on some of the turnovers that have been forced. It's not often you're not often a linebacker leads your team in interceptions. Yeah, I mean, you know, challenge, you, you know, defensive backroom sees that like someone else has got to lead the team. Like one of us has to be leading the team in interceptions. I think Tyler Gore's coming. He's been, yeah, I'm, he's been breaking up some passes a lot lately. Obviously, this might not be the week. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be pretty impressed if Tyler got an interception this week. Yeah, I was just going to, I mean, I don't know like how much my, uh, knowledge makes this a viable uh, opinion but uh, i guess my mvp quote unquote asterisk not dan is going to have to be trey barnett on offense for obvious reasons he leads the team in rushing yards uh averaging 6.1 yards per carry that's not nothing hello it's not the it's not the highest oh, sorry did you just say that he was averaging 6.1 rushing yards per carry Yes, yards per rush attempt, 6.1. And that's Love not that. even the highest on the team. Devin well, Gentry is at 9, but well, he's he's only had 18 total <laughs> yards. Right, right. and this is why statistics are important. But yeah, he's averaging 6.1 yards per carry. He's, his longest rush on the year is 56 yards. He's five touchdowns. You, you really can't argue with that. Yeah, Whoa, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's tricky with, you know, MVP, especially in an offense like this where it all kind of feeds together. But you're right, Uh the offensive line could open up the holes for King till kingdom come. And if the running back isn't going to hit the hole the right way or wait for it to develop or hit the wrong hole, then it's not going to matter how good the blocking is. So definitely credit has to go to Trey because he's been leading the pack of a good running back group. They've been so good. See on defense. I think it's also worth mentioning Ed Kearney. Uh, he is, I believe the leading uh, defender on the team in solo tackles so far this year. Uh, yeah, that's correct. 26 solo tackles, uh, three sacks, and his uh, total sack yards is 16, which is not the uh, not leading the team, but for people that are as high up ranking as he is, is the best that we've got so far. Always making a solid effort every time he's on the field. I think we just need to take a look and uh, recognize him a little bit. Definitely. In the, same, in the same vein, the other inside linebacker, another important part of the defense. So our next question, also from Twitter, Mike asks us, who is a realistic opponent you would like to see the Panthers play at GSU Stadium in the next few years? I think for me, uh, for me, definitely, yep. Yeah, you want to see me on the field, just me versus 11 (laughs) dudes all game long. It's, spoiler alert, it's going to go poorly. Uh, I would want to see some American Athletic Conference opponents because, uh, I don't know, maybe a conference game in the next couple years, but I kid. Cincinnati, I don't know if they would be interested in coming down here uh Tulane maybe that could be an interesting game with uh, multiple angles on it but uh, anyone from the american that is going to be what i feel would be like an interesting matchup opponent for us would be good i don't i don't really want to see too many more fcs teams because what what do you what do you gain by playing those as a g5 Nothing. well you're going to you're going to play an fcs game probably every year right um, for my money if it's not a great FCS team with not a storied, you know, history, not ranked in the top 25. I think that's better. Um, just, I don't know what you gain by 
playing a team. I don't know why anyone schedules North Dakota State anymore. Um, <laughs> just because they're, they're going to get you. tested. They're, they're probably going to beat you. That's what I'd say as far as that goes. Uh, I would agree with you. I think just philosophically, I think what we want to do, what we want to see is as many times as possible, Georgia State getting in front of the eyeballs of the AAC. And so I'm right with you. I would even say specifically USF or UCF because Ooh, Georgia UCF State would be huge. Georgia State recruits the state of Florida and so and has players currently on the team from the state of Florida. So if you can give them a chance to go down and play in front of their, you know, family, their friends, that's a nice thing you can try to do for them as well as playing a good quality out of conference opponent. Um, I've got another one that did already happen, but then the games didn't happen. I would say that UAB would be a nice out-of-conference little home-and-home to set up. It's a good travel for each fan base. Uh, They're in Conference USA, which is, you know, Conference USA. But they are a good team. They have been really good since starting back up. And there's a third reason why, and it's just kind of a dumb reason. This would have to line up about 2023 and onward just because Georgia State's schedule was booked by then, before then. Um, and in 2023, UAB is already playing at Georgia Southern and at Georgia. So if they're out of conference, it's three Georgia teams. You know, at that point, if I'm them, I'm just going to schedule Georgia Tech also. Just get, you know, the bingo card filled out. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that'd be a, you know, jokes aside, I think that would be a good peer school rivalry. And I think that's why it got set up before UAB got pulled off for a couple of years. Um, I forget which years exactly off the top of my head. I want to say it, it would have been 2015, 2016. Yeah, so 2015, 2016 was the uh, the years they didn't play. Correct. So we can we can move. Yeah. On. So just just bring that contract back out. Just change. Just scribble over them. And it's not like UAB is the team they were before they went on hiatus. Like they've been a pretty good team since they've come back. Bill Clark has really been doing something with them. Yeah. It like it. It, it works out for the fans. It, it's a nice local game. Again, it's another state that Georgia State has players from, so another chance for them to play closer to home. And it'd be a good test of what you want to do. Uh, you can't project either team out with much accuracy five years out, but you can imagine that they're going to be a decent team. Um, and that that's really the goal. Is if, you're, if you're not playing the FCS game, which you're playing to kind of figure stuff out and get a win – the other games at our conference really should be this game is going to tell me something about my team. This, this is going to be a team like we're going to play in conference play. And so UAB kind of fits the mold on, on many fronts for me. And I think they travel well too. And that's another thing I think is worth considering. You can schedule a good team, but if they're from somewhere really far away, you're not going to get a whole lot of fans to travel, but Birmingham's what three hours, two and Maybe. a half, something like that, two and a yeah. half, three hours. So people will travel for that game. Like every time uh, we played them in basketball, we took a pretty sizable group over there uh, just from some of our friends. And it was a good time. We, I think we ended up losing that game, but still it's, it's an easy trip. People can make schedule in the afternoon, evening, sometime in October. It's a great, it's a slam dunk. Any of the other local conference USA, AAC teams that realistically we would be favored against, I think is good. It's a slam dunk. So we did get one more question asking us about uh, bowl game predictions, but uh, we're four and two right now. Uh, we're not eligible yet, so I don't think it's prudent to talk about that at this point in time. Uh, externally, like outside of this podcast, we've certainly been discussing it, but 
let's just go ahead and get these two wins first, and then we can <coughs> really dive into that sort of prediction discussion stuff. There's tempting but, uh, fate, and then there's also wasting podcast time. <laughs> right, and n- nobody nobody wants to listen to us yammer on for 15 to 20 minutes about, oh, well, do you want to go to Disney World again? No, All right, so we'll sa- save that for next month or whenever we get our six wins, if we get our six wins. Let's Guys, go. Georgia State is definitely going to the Peach Bowl. And on that note, it's time to end the show. So thanks. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, though, thank you for your questions. Keep them coming. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, any other channel. If you really want to, you can email us. Uh, so anything else we want to talk about before the end of this podcast, gentlemen? Yeah, the season's halfway over. The Panthers are four and two. That feels good. What's next? I feel like not many people in the fan base would have at the idea of four and two is like oh that's not good enough um the texas state game still is just that just Ugh. haunting aura of like <sighs> you could be five and one right now i mean the, oh, the could western you michigan, imagine the western michigan game you just write off that was a loss you didn't play well western michigan did like you can't go back and you know rewrite that one in any way but the, the texas state game does stand out of like a real missed opportunity but the fact is you're two games over 500 halfway through the year, you beat a Power 5 team, you beat an SEC team at that. I think expectations weren't that high coming into the year. The team was kind of young. The defense had had a really bad year in 2018. But I think the factor that no one was considering was how good the offensive line was going to be and how much of an improvement Dan Allington was going to take. I don't think any of us – I think it certainly took us off guard in spring practice when Dan called the Tennessee upset – and said that he was angling to be the Sunbelt Player of the Year, but the Tennessee upset happened, and he's in that conversation. Yeah, he absolutely is. I think there's <laughs> been some really good ups and some really bad downs. Um, Texas State, for what it was, you know, ultimately it was a loss in the win-loss column, but, you know, Tennessee also happened. I'm, I'm definitely happy with the way that the Panthers are so far, halfway through the season. Um, I have probably convinced myself that they won't lose again, um, so I probably need to calm down. But I think, truthfully, this is a good team. They do they run the ball really well, and that matters. They do enough on defense a lot of the time, and that matters. You know, when they played Tennessee, you saw a team that controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball really well. And when they've lost this season it's been because they haven't done that as well or they had a lot of turnovers in you know in the texas state game so if they can continue to play well and continue to control the line of scrimmage i think that four wins is probably the halfway point for them i would love to be eight and four going into a bowl game but uh once again we're not there yet yeah i mean the last thing i would just say is there's been one game you've just been totally out of and just totally out of from the beginning. And that happened a lot last year. And so there's, I think the improvement is you've, even the, the Texas State loss, it was a game. It wasn't, you know, a blowout. It wasn't a game that you didn't have a chance in. Um, and there were too many times in 2018 where Georgia State just didn't give themselves a chance to to win a game. Uh, four and two right now, the team has looked good at home. Uh, you have a real chance with two home games coming up to book your bowl ticket before November. Uh, it's two good teams, so it's not like a gimme at all. Um, 
but it certainly would be a statement of intention to come out and win your next two home games, cement that you're going to finish above 500 at home, and cement that you're going to go to a bowl game before the month of November even starts. Uh, but there's some tests coming up, um, and a team in Appalachian State later in the year that you haven't beaten, and that for most of the time you haven't played well. So some belt titles, fun to talk about. Bowl games are fun to talk about, but there's a thing, there's a game that you can highlight and just say, this is a team we need to show that we're better than we've shown before. And so that that game, implications aside, is one I'll be interested to see how it goes, especially if they're ranked. Yeah, stay undefeated, App State. Well, you know the curse of the uh, Sun Belt ranked teams, so all they have to do is defeat ULM at home, yeah, that, a team if, that has if, never beaten them. If that happens, we don't know what happens next because that's been the, the trip up. You know, that could mean that they're smooth sailing. Or it could, you know, Sunbelt needs an, a, a ranked team to win their next game. This is uncharted territory for this football team. Uh, being four and two in the FBS, uh, being unbeaten at home, granted only after two games. But the environment at Georgia State Stadium has been pretty good this year. And based on uh, what we're hearing from athletics and what I've seen on the uh Ticketmaster site and secondary marketplaces, this could be a sellout. Granted, it's going to be probably a huge portion of Army fans and just casual people coming to see Army play because they have people that are in the service or they just, oh, hey, that's a team I've heard of instead of Baked Potato State University to borrow one of Taylor's favorite uh, fake school names. But uh, I think the home advantage is really uh, something that we need to look at for the rest of the season it's not really something we've ever had those of us who remember the cavernous georgia dome echo chamber with uh five thousand butts in seats against baked potato state university if you will but uh we've got our own stadium it's nice it's getting better every week students show up if they show up to this game and all these tickets that are supposedly sold are actual butts in seats it's going to be a really really cool environment yeah, I mean, just as an aside, um, when Air Force came to the Dome, which, as you mentioned, the stadium is much better than the Dome. But even in the Dome, that was a really cool game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I imagine it's going to be more of the same when Army comes here on Saturday. Like I said in the upon for the review this week, what happens the rest of the way might make the difference between a good season, fine season, and a great season. A season that changes the trajectory of where this football program is headed. So going to be interesting to see where it is headed. That we will. That we will see. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to this uh, episode 24 of the Thursday Night Podcast. Just as a reminder for you, uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram at Thursday Night. Uh, Make sure you follow us for all of our content and everything that we post there. Feel free like, share, subscribe, send us to your friends. We want to be able to uh, get this thing out to as many people as we possibly can because we want the Panther family to be involved. Uh, thank you to all of you who have been here with us since the beginning, and we're looking forward to covering more and more great Georgia State moments as the season goes on. But I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Go State!